Hey guys, so welcome to the next episode of the Shamewatch Fitness Podcast. So it's episode 43. It's really hard to believe that it's episode 43 already and I'm planning something big for episode 50. I have a few ideas in my head, so I just want to see what one will work and what one won't work. Uh, I've very, been very lucky so far to have the people I've had on so far. Uh, a lot of people have given up a lot of their time to come onto the podcast and I'm really excited for the next little while to see exactly where we can go. Um, so this week uh, is a quite a special guest. Uh, it's someone I've been following for quite a while, um, and someone who's literally just done his MNU exams for myself. So we're talking off air. We've got like three weeks uh, before the the exams results come out, and hopefully I'll be meeting uh, Jason over in at the at the graduation as well. Um, so my next guest is Jason Monroe. For anyone that doesn't know Jason or is unaware of Jason, uh, he's all over social media. He is the, an online coach and owner of Monroe Fitness, and he's Monroe underscore fitness on Instagram. He has created an online community called uh, at clan underscore Monroe. Uh, it's, and it's, it's an amazing community. His posts are so, so to the point. They're so simple. They make weight loss simple. Uh, but it, it, it picks on the pain points uh, of a lot of people who are out there with a lot of crappy information and Jason just hits the nail on the head each time. Uh, Jason has a website as well, www.munrofitness.com and he has a member site as well. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So Jason, we were talking a little bit off air and stuff like that and how you kind of got into fitness and uh, and the realm and stuff so can you can you explain to the guys how you kind of got into the whole the sphere of fitness itself sure um, I've always had an interest in fitness I suppose um, kind of going from being a super fit teenager when I was in the Navy but then I went straight into six seven years of a sedentary job um, so sitting at a desk most of the time also coming in my early 20s learning what alcohol and nightclubs were so we all know what happens when activity level goes down and calorie intake goes up. Um, during that time, I had kind of bursts at the gym. I had a kind of love-hate relationship with it at the time. At that age, there was always something kind of better to be doing. Um, then I found myself in a more active role, uh, work-wise, which helped kind of stem the weight gain. Um, and it wasn't really until my son was born four and a half years ago my first son, um, that I started to take things a bit more seriously, trying to get rid of the dad bod that I developed whilst my wife was pregnant, um, and then I kind of started documenting my own journey on Instagram, so the Instagram account I have just now, that used to be a personal account, once upon a time, and then I kind of started documenting my own journey, really started to get into nutrition, um, started looking more into the evidence-based approach researching various things and then that led to me kind of starting to put together my own content because my Instagram was growing through the time people asking lots of questions lots of DMs and it was just kind of growing and growing from there so I started to create these infographics starting to put information out and it got to the point where I was giving advice and help to people hundreds of people over DM so it's like imagine saying the same things over and over again to the same to different people, the amount of time that takes up. Um, so I decided I was going to create a Facebook group where I would put all the information in one place and rather than me have to say it over and over again, people could read it over and over again. So freeing up a lot of my time to pursue other things. Um, 
So yeah, I spent the last six months of 2017 putting together this Facebook group and my kind of weight loss plan that I was coming up with. Um, and on the 1st of January 2018, we launched with about 200 members, I think, on New Year's Day. Well, actually, I opened it on New Year's Eve at like 11 o'clock. So everybody was in the queue waiting to join the group. So you can imagine what it was like. 11 p.m. New Year's Eve, all these people have just got a notification to say, you've been accepted into this group. Everybody was steaming, posting, and they go, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Like, I go back to the post now and again to read through all the comments on it, but it was a good way to start it. Um, and here we are, 20 months on, uh, we're fast approaching 2,400 members in our Facebook group. That's bonkers. That is absolute bonkers. I'm I'm putting the feelers out now with the like as you said, it there is a lot of the same questions over and over again. And that's from both face to face and online clients. So I'm kinda of putting the feelers out now amongst the online clients. Do they want a community? Like what we have with M and U as well. Um and it's it's handy to kind of keep content relevant and and kinda of if there's new evidence coming in, just pop that up and then especially with kind of the sweetener stuff that's kind of coming out now there's a lot more information on that um for anyone that isn't aware of what online online coaching is can you kind of why do you think there's such a shift towards that at the minute uh and what are the benefits of people looking to start their journey of going online i think that you know when you think about it everything we do now is online you know people don't go to banks anymore people don't go to shops People don't go to the, the supermarkets even. They order everything from the comfort of their home or when they're sitting at their work procrastinating on their computers or whatever. Everything's done online. Um, I think the magic of the internet means that we get to, you know, social media is huge now. Um, we have all these influencers all over the world, but we also have more useful people when it comes to coaches. You may find someone that you enjoy following. So we have, um, we have quite a number of, people in the group that come from all over the world. So Australia, Dubai, New Zealand, America, Canada. These are people that have just happened to follow me or come across something on social media, decided they want to have you as a coach. And because of the power of the internet, they can work with you from anywhere they want. Um, I think the obvious benefit is convenience. You know, it's not like Slimming World or Weight Watchers where you have to be at a certain hall or a certain church at a certain time and then do you have kids, do you have to arrange childcare or even worse, do you take them with you and start exposing them to that sort of world? Um, not everybody has those hours to spare each week. Um, so yeah, I think it's convenience and cost as well. You know, it can be a lot cheaper to work with someone online, especially if you are going to things like Slimming World or Weight Watchers. They, do try and upsell when they get you there. So it's like, here's some magazines, here's some recipe books, here's some branded snacks or meals that you might want to try. You know, and it's constant spending, spending. Um, but yeah, convenience and cost, I think, are the two biggest things. And what would you say to someone that is starting their journey, that hasn't set foot into a gym before, and more often than not is a yo-yo dieter or has tried Slim World or one of those kind of diets and they were kind of 50-50 whether to go for a face-to-face client or a face-to-face coach or an online coach. What would you kind of, what would be your words of advice there? 
Um, it's tough because one of the biggest difficulties that I face is trying to stay true to the kind of principles that you stick to whilst still trying to get people through the door. It's very difficult to be completely honest and open with people and still get them to come in because people see what I do and they see the things I share and they think it looks complicated or it looks difficult or um, recently I had someone who thought they were too old to, to learn something new and they just wanted to stick with what they what they know works for them. It's not just about and it's the other thing that contributes to it is what people's idea of a diet is so people have certain beliefs where they think that they have to go hungry or they're going to have to eat foods that they don't like or they have to do this this and this or even the, the word fitness in Monroe fitness puts people off because they believe that they're going to have to start going to the gym or they're going to have to start you know doing loads of workouts and stuff um I think it's just it's trying to get people to see what it's like from the inside which is why i share so much stuff on social media and i and make it as relatable as possible to the everyday person not just people that want to that think you need to get in a gym or whatever um it's really difficult it's, it's my biggest challenge i think is getting people to try something something new and i don't know what the, the answer is but what i've been doing so far seems to be working yeah no you're absolutely smashing it. i think you hit the nail on the head and also so many people seem to adopt an all or nothing approach like what you've said yes. the biggest thing that a lot of people say how do you keep going for motivation or how do you stick with your motivation in the gym um yeah. can i have a meal plan because i'm going to stick to that that's more yeah. than likely you're not going to happen um, yeah. they literally want to be spoon fed the information once they get the information they'll probably stick they could be sticking into it for a couple of weeks and then they'll be like I've lost the weight but now I've rebounded they'll get frustrated and it's just that vicious circle over and over again how would you if how would you kind of phrase it to someone that kind of came to you that way like most people that I deal with are yo-yo dieters and it's just kind of how to change their mindset what would you kind of what would be your set process with that again that comes back to people's perception of what a diet is supposed to be so let's say someone wants to stick to Slimming World because they know it works. So you can drill back from that and say, well, what is your idea of something that works? What does, what does weight loss mean to you? Does it, if someone's a yo-yo dieter, it means losing weight while they follow a plan, but then regaining it when they stop. This has become so normalized that people, just because it's seen as normal, it doesn't make it the norm. When people go to Slimming World or Weight Watchers, whatever, they're surrounded by people that are all doing the same thing. So it feels like that's that's just how you're supposed to lose weight. You're supposed to lose weight for a holiday or a wedding or a big occasion you have coming up, and you're supposed to put it back on again after. And then the next year, you're supposed to do it all over again. People just believe that this is the norm. And it's, you know, how do you get them to realize that there is another way, that you can lose the weight, but hopefully along the way you can learn things that then allow you to keep that weight off in the long term. Um, it's, I, I, yesterday, in fact, with my mum, my mum was a prime example. She um, put up her transformation picture. It's some transformation. Yeah, it took um, it took me like a year, a year and a, a year and a bit to get her to come around to my way of doing things, even on the run up to her wedding. She was still following Slumming World because she knew it worked. 
she knew that she had a goal at the end that she could stay focused on and she knew that was going to help her lose weight and after it she just went and piled it all back on again until that one day where she did eventually come and say you know that thing that you do <laughs> could you um, maybe could you do like my calories and macros for me and then from there she actually started following me on social media became a member of the group started following what I did reading everything and now here she is after 20 years of yoga dieting after going round the mall Weight Watchers Slimmer World Scottish Slimmers which has gone now winning a liquidation this year I think um, Slim Fast you know she tried everything and now just employing the basics you know ensuring protein and fibre with every meal not stuffing herself anymore my dad's a big fan of going to all you can eat buffets understanding that you don't have to keep going back up and getting plateful and plateful. All these things that she's changed and that has now led to her maintaining her weight. Well, that was June, that photo, after photo was taken, and she's exactly where she was then, now in October, where normally she would have gone to that point and then piled it all back on again. It's, it's some transformation. I, I, It's not easy. She's 58, she's 58 as well, so it's, it's never too late yeah. to adopt it or learn something or change things and working with parents can or family or friends can be tough at times because yeah. you know them so well yeah. uh so yeah, fair, yeah. so fair play um you posted something recently about people driving to where they used to walk and that resonated yeah. with me a lot uh because the biggest thing when you're trying to lose weight is to move a little bit more eat a little bit less so I absolutely yeah. love that message. So can yeah. you explain what NEAT is, first of all, and why is it so underrated as a tool when looking to lose weight? So NEAT, um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, if we're going to be fancy. Um, basically the energy expended from the things we do each day that aren't our BMR, so our basal metabolic rate, the minimum number of calories we burn in a day just ticking over, or intentional exercise, which would be going to the gym or going out for a run or whatever. It's everything in between. From the minute you wake up in the morning until you climb back into bed at night. Um, some people have sedentary jobs that don't allow them to do very much, sat on their bums all day. But an idea of neat there would be getting up and going to the toilet, getting up and going to the water machine, going for a walk on your lunch break for 20 minutes. Um, all these things contribute towards your total calorie bump for the day. So you can really take advantage of your meat and the post that you mentioned. The thing that I had in mind that when I wrote it and when I spoke about it on my stories was like when you think of your transition from, you know, sort of being a teenager at high school into your 20s, like what things change? When you're in your teens, you walk everywhere. You get public transport. You must get thousands. I, I wish I had a, a step when I was in high school to see the kind of distances and steps I was covering at the time. But you walk pretty much everywhere. And then you do your driving lessons. And if you're lucky, you get a car. And then your steps go through the floor and everywhere's in a car. And then you get a job or you'll go to uni and you'll study and you'll be sat down in lectures and sat down doing revision. So calorie intake increasing natural activity level decreasing um, and that was the kind of thing I was thinking about with that post think of all the places that you take the car now that you never used to before or you might have not done in the past you know did you used to walk to the shop 
did you used to walk in into? Do you now take the car everywhere that you go? If you could replace two or three of those trips a week, you know, just leave the car and take a walk, the difference and the impact that could have on your overall calorie burn for the week and which could contribute towards your maintenance or weight loss or whatever could be massive. So yeah, the other thing you said was why is it underrated? Um, I think it's underrated because people overlook it. So it's like, you know, they have this idea that in order to, you know, get, you know, burn calories, you know, it's not as simple as just walking places. I have to be on a treadmill or a stairmaster or in a pair of running shoes doing a 5K or a 10K or in the gym lifting weights. People like to skip that step, but that's also done if people want things to be complicated. Um, if you said to somebody, yeah, if you want to lose weight, just eat a little bit less and leave the car at home more often, you know, most of them won't accept that. They want it to be more complicated. They want to be able to throw money at something. Here's 50 quid a month for a gym membership. That's going to help me. When something as simple as getting some extra steps in is massively overlooked. Oh, amazingly. I, for example, I have an online client who has an issue with his heart. I'm working alongside his doctor and after getting the okay from his doctor, he wasn't necessarily able to do kind of high intensity exercise or he wasn't able to kind of lift weights for a few months. So all we concentrated on working alongside his doctor and getting sign off on that was trying to get him to slightly reduce his food, concentrate on his protein, getting his steps up. He's what, 12 weeks gone now? And he's down nine kilos. He came into me yesterday for like his check and he was like, he sent me his kind of his progress photo and he was like, I've no idea what you've done, but it, it's so simple. Like it's, it move more, eat a little bit less. Something will budge eventually. Um, yeah, you know, his response to that just shows you how he thinks of it. He thinks it's magic. Yeah. When, when he's basically doing things that are super simple. So many people yeah. overcomplicate the whole process. Um, yes. And some of the questions you get are like, you'd have no need to know some of this information. Like, literally yeah. keep it simple. Um, yeah. A lot of kind of people now, we, we work in or we live in a world where we work crazy hours. Um, we have a busy family life, busy social life. Trying to keep a work-life balance can be difficult at times. And stress is a big factor and then stress eating is also a big factor. Have you got any techniques on kind of dealing with stress eating or have you kind of had uh, posts or any information or any research out there to kind of help with uh, stress eating? Um, we've done, so in our coaching group, we do kind of weekly live chats. So what I'll do is I will kind of monitor what the mood is in the group that week. And if there's a certain flow of similar questions that come in, I'll kind of pick that as a topic and then we'll do a kind of hour live chat on it. Um, I think somebody posted one day about stress eating and it kind of opened the floodgates and loads of people jumped on that post and started sharing their experiences. So we dealt with it as a, as a live chat. I think the important thing to keep in mind is that food is fuel. Food is there to fuel your body, to fuel everything that you do in a day. It's not there for comfort, it's not something you do when you're bored, um, it shouldn't be a crutch that you lean on. 
the answer is stress. You know, what you have a look and say, you know, what things are stressing me out? You know, what can I do to alleviate that stress? Eating something is very rarely going to be the solution to it unless you're hungry and you're stressed out because you're hungry. Um, from my own experience, like I used to stress eat at times and when I started doing this as an as a career and I left my old job to do this full time, which was a big gamble to take, I didn't realise it was an issue until all those massive stresses kind of kicked in. And it's, it's like a, it's a distraction. So people need a distraction. Something is stressing you out, something is causing you pain. Your body wants to protect you from that pain, so it's like find something else to do that isn't exposing you to this anymore. So you go to the kitchen and you'll think about eating something. So already your mind's elsewhere and that's starting to alleviate the stress because you're not thinking about it anymore. Your mind's on something else. The distractions start to work. You think about something to eat, you go in the cupboard, you might have a usual cupboard that you go into, you might have a usual biscuit tin or something that you dip into, and then you eat something. And then after that, you might start to feel better because it's helped break that kind of stressful loop that you found yourself in. And then you have this association where next time you feel stressed, you know that when you go and have something to eat, it helps take your mind off it. And then you've got this thing where you see that as having a positive impact and you can fall back on it as a crutch from time to time. But you could use the word stress with anything. Like it's not just limited to stress eating. You know, how many times do you see people posting on Instagram on a Friday after work with a glass of wine? It's like, this is needed. I need this. Uh, this is my way of de-stressing after a hard week. Or some people might go for some retail therapy. Another way people, another thing people might use to de-stress. Some might go for a walk, which would be preferred to eating because you're burning calories instead of consuming them. Um, but yeah, when it comes to stress, the steps that I've taken personally are like, do things that help reduce stress. Eating something doesn't help reduce the stress. It just distracts you from, a, for, from it for a while. Reading, journaling, colouring it. My favourite colouring in book at the moment is my swear words colouring in book. Pages and pages of swear words. Um, that's my favourite one. I find that's a good just to sit and chill out for a bit. Um, but yeah, it's finding something to to shift the kind of stress onto that isn't food. There are a million and one things you can do to burn calories. There's only one thing you can do to consume them. So pick something else. Go for a walk. Do a workout. Read a book. Write your thoughts down. Um, or colour in. Something like that. The other one that I came up with on that same live chat we did was you'll have heard people say that they maybe go brush their teeth after a meal so that they don't eat anything else or like if somebody's on a diet and they feel hungry but they don't want to eat they'll go brush their teeth. Um, if you ever find yourself in a position where you're in the kitchen doing laps, going around your usual places, into this cupboard, into the fridge, looking for something, you may have some kind of hot spots. If you go to places like Poundland or B&M or Home Bargains, you can buy a five-pack of extra-strong mints and you can leave a packet of mints in each of these places and that should, like, if you don't get, if you can't break the the intention of going into the kitchen to do something, you can at least put this last line of defence there, right in front of or on top of, in the middle of the biscuit tin or whatever, 
hopefully that there's a last final trigger and you make the choice between I think there were 12 calories for a mint because you're not going to want to eat anything for at least an hour after having a mint um, that was the last line of defence type thing that I had come up with I robbed that cue uh, the, I, I like the fact that you've mentioned uh, journaling the other the other one I use with my clients is if to say if they say they're hungry and they're feeling a little bit stressed or whatever is are you really hungry to, enough to eat a full stick of broccoli if yeah. you are really are hungry to eat a full stick of raw broccoli well then you're hungry if you're not there's something else going on or else the other cue is get little post-its, stick it on or uh, use a whiteboard, have your goal or whatever it is written in front of you, stick a little post on the fridge or the presses or whatever it is and stick a post on. Every time you're going to reach for something, you'll see this. You'll be like, no, actually, I've got my holiday in 10 weeks. I'm going to sit back down or go for yeah. a walk or go to the gym yeah, or whatever. You've reminded me of another one. The other one was, you know, get your, some people have a picture or a goal take that and stick it to the lid of the biscuit tin or stick it inside the cupboard that you normally go to that was one of the other ones yeah that's a good one um the next one is probably one of my favorite posts from yourself about dealing with the analogy for intuitive eating and comparing it comparing adults to children and how children intuitive eat can you explain what intuitive eating is and can you then explain your analogy a little bit further Intuitive eating is what everyone does since birth. Um, like I noticed this massively on my kids. And yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I'll not jump ahead. We'll talk about this first. But yeah, I see it massively on my kids. Um, this morning, I intentionally took a note of how many ounces my son had. So he wakes up, changes nappy, and we sit down with his eight ounce morning bottle. And this morning, he left three ounces of it because he gets to the point where he starts to feel full and then he starts to goo and gah and laugh and bat it away. That's intuitive eating. That is, I've had enough of this now. It's time to stop. Thanks very much. Put me down. I want to go and play. Um, that's intuitive eating. It's, it's not some thing that people need to learn. It's not something you need to buy a book about. It's not something you need to do a course in. It's not a specific diet brand like it's marketed on Instagram. One of the more recent ones you may have heard of was the HDE movement, Hunger Directed Eating, which seems to have had its five minutes already because I've not seen it for a while now. Um, as I was poking fun at it for a bit, but now it's disappeared. I watched a film the other night with my eldest son called The Lorax. Have you ever seen it? No. The I know what it's about though. Dr. Seuss animated film, a great movie with a great message. But the billionaire businessman in it has everyone in his town buying fresh air from them. So he takes air, bottles it, and sells it back to them, which is a bit like what the intuitive eating crowd are like when they write books about things you've been doing since you were a baby. Eating till full and then stopping. The, the problem comes when we become adults. So I think the post, I'm not sure if it's the same post you're talking about, but I had saw someone say that we all just need to eat like adults. Yeah. Um, when the reality was, you know, it's eating like adults that's the problem. It's the things that we're exposed to, the access to unlimited foods that we have. You know, we're adults, we're the ones that decide what we have, whereas 
it's children, it's a case of here's what's put in front of you, eat that, and once you're full, you'll stop eating, and then that's it. Um, so, yeah, I disagreed with that post and said we could probably all be doing with taking a cue from the kids <laughs> rather than trying to eat like adults. Yeah, they, the kids have it simplified. They literally, they're, they're, they just have it so simple. Like, they just, they literally know when they're full, they know when the plate's full. If they don't want it, they go, no, move on, go yeah. play with their toys. Care about these bottle. I mean, we do that in the morning, but when we give them like his lunch and stuff, I'm even trying to implement kind of habits where we'll put down like the protein and the veggies first. So we'll sit in his high chair and I'll give him some bits of chicken and maybe some carrot bags or some peas for him to chase around and he'll eat those. And then I'll maybe put down like a couple of boiled potatoes once he's had a, a while with those. And then once it gets to the point where it's getting thrown on the floor or thrown at me or stuck up noses or in ears or whatever, then you know he's done. That's that's intuitive. Um, doesn't need to be taught. You don't need books about it. You've just probably forgotten what it was or what it is. I love the fact that you've said you're not going to find an answer in a book or whatever it may be. You're just going to have to work on it yourself, uh, really, yeah. and kind of just take a step back follow your kids if you've got kids or whatever it may be um we talk, we spoke a little bit kind of off air about kind of one of the most common ailments you kind of you get from people is that they're feeling tired all the time um from either work or just lack of sleep and stuff like that what steps would you put in place for some people what would you be recommended steps for someone everyone's so different um what could be going on and stuff like that but what would you kind of what would be the kind of the three four steps that you would have to kind of maybe check that for it for them well we get the obvious one out of the way first you know most people do not get enough sleep um i looked at a 2018 the 2018 uk sleep survey so the recommended amount of sleep for adults is between seven and nine hours per night um, on the sleep survey, it found that people were getting an average of, in the UK, 5 hours 47 and 6 hours 50 minutes. Um, so most people aren't getting adequate sleep at night. Um, the same survey also showed that the top factors keeping us up at night, something we've already spoke about, which is stress, 26% of those people recorded that stress was the biggest issue, the biggest thing stopping them from sleeping at night. Um, and then after that, it was noise. People couldn't sleep with noise. So that was 14%. So that made up a large portion of the reasons why these people were, felt that they weren't getting adequate sleep at night. Interestingly, um, caffeine was like 4%. And kids, despite how many people complain about the kids keeping them up, it was only 2 or 3% of people had said kids. But stress and noise were massive factors. So stress, like we said earlier, um, and coming back to kids again, because it's an easy one for me to kind of associate things with, like kids have a bedtime routine. Part of being a parent is getting your kids into a good bedtime routine. So for us, it's like dinner, then it's bath time. And then that bath time is like the kind of trigger for them that they know it's time to start winding down and they start to get sleepy. So dinner, bath time, supper, story time and then they're ready to go to bed like we should be taking a cue from that and we should have a good bedtime routine as well we shouldn't be sitting in bed at 11 o'clock at night with your phone brightness up at 100 percent scrolling through instagram online shopping all these things that are keep your brain firing non-stop you know we should be taking a cue from how parents deal with kids bed, bed, 
kids bedtime routine um, and kind of copying that type of thing. Last night I intentionally went to bed early because I was feeling very tired yesterday and I was sleeping, I checked my Fitbit this morning, I was sleeping for 10 to 9 and I got up at 6.20 I think. The kids thankfully slept all night so that was like 8 hours 40 minutes or 8 hours 20 minutes, 8 hours 30 minutes. Um, and that was me getting the upper end of the seven to nine hours. Um, so yeah, we need a better bedtime routine. We need to switch off a bit earlier. Like you can stress about things all you want, but you could maybe switch it off a bit towards nine o'clock and start to wind down. It's still going to be there in the morning. You'll be better able to deal with that and handle it the next day after a full night's sleep. I love the fact that you've related back to the kids again for a bedtime routine and how important yeah. it is. Like everything you're you're taught you're taught this stuff when you're all that all those years ago when you're so young about you shouldn't do this X Y and Z and then all of a sudden when you suddenly turn into a thinking adult or a working yeah. adult, it just goes completely and utterly awry. Uh, it's funny how it works. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. What about kind of the the, the feeling, the tired, feeling tired? Would you recommend go to GPs or anything like that? Yeah. So sleep would be one thing. Sorry. Yeah. Chronic dehydration would be another. Um, a YouGov survey that I took a look at showed that eighty nine percent of people in the UK are not drinking enough each day. Like not just water, but not drinking enough at all. Like they asked. I don't know didn't take a note of the people but they asked they asked about various questions one of them was you know how many cups of water do you drink in a day i can't remember the exact figure but it was more than 50 percent of them did not drink a single cup of water that day which is fine you can drink other things but they weren't drinking at all and because they weren't drinking water they would maybe have like a can of juice here and there an energy drink here or there a cup of tea or a cup of coffee Though these things can count towards your daily fluid intake, they weren't actively looking to increase it. So if there isn't a can of juice nearby or if there isn't a kettle nearby to have a cup of tea or to have a can of juice, then they simply weren't drinking anything. Um, yeah, dehydration, massively linked to how tired you feel. In the group, if anybody comes to me in the group and says, I'm feeling really tired, the first two posts of call are, are you getting enough sleep? What's your hydration like? And, you know, most times they'll say, oh, well, I'll have a cup of tea in the morning and then one at lunchtime and then I'll maybe have a drink of water by my dinner. And it's like, how are you still alive? How are you functioning each day? Drink something. You'll feel much better for it. Start your day. If you want to start your day and you're feeling sluggish in the morning, I keep a glass. You know, people ask me, how do you drink more water in a day? I just forget. Easy thing to do is to keep a cup or a glass next to the sink. Every time you go to the toilet to wash your hands, or you're going to do dishes or whatever, turn on the cold tap, have a glass of water, put it down, and then that's it done. Don't set ridiculous goals of, oh, I'm going to drink four litres of water today, and I'm going to make sure this two-litre bottle is always filled and I drink it. That's, that can be too much for some people. Something as simple as keeping a glass next to a tap and just drinking one glass of water. One extra glass of water per day is better than none at all, and that could build to it becoming a kind of a better habit and it can lead to you kind of consuming more water over time but yeah sleep and hydration two biggest ones for me and you mentioned the gp after that yeah um beyond those two things could be a nutritional deficiency some deficiency somewhere um gp to get blood's done 
to look for things like vitamin D, iron, things like that. Perfect. I'm delighted you meant. I'm delighted you mentioned uh, the water because so many people. I know. I felt. I fell into this uh, when I had an office job uh, that I'd be like, "Oh, I'm too busy to drink water." But while in between us talking, both of us are having some sort of drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, it's it's scary. Like I've had I had another nutritionist on from from Ireland, and one of his cues was if you're a female. Uh, or have hair unlike me is you get three bobbins put on top of your bottle of water your liter bottle of water and after each liter of bottle of water take off the bobbin and that your goal is to get rid of two of those two or three of those Uh, or else the other one is some people don't like the taste of water Um, they feel it's too dry or it's weird that it's it's liquid and they feel it's too dry but uh, is there's a, there's a, a sachet you can get called Bolero um, yeah. and they cost like 30 cent per sachet and they're flavoured uh, drinks they're very very low like there's zero calories uh, and you can get like Coca-Cola flavour raspberry flavour anything you want and it makes it awesome. taste like a fizzy drink um, yeah. and they're so so cheap you can, I think they're 30 or 70 cent like some of the, like a lot of the PTs that I work with would, would drink those rather than drinking the fizzy drinks or the energy drinks they live on caffeine yeah. as well but um, yeah. but yeah the, the, the People have these kind of walk-dried ideas where, like, squash is overlooked, diluting juice is massively overlooked because a lot of people believe that it's bad for them because it's got sugar in it. Like, being dehydrated all the time is going to be worse for you. Like, um, I couldn't imagine, because I used to be like this, I never used to drink anything, I couldn't imagine going back to how sluggish I used to feel all the time before I realised how important dehydration was. If the difference is between drinking squash which is fine, it's super low in calories, it doesn't contain anything bad. Um, or feeling like that all the time, like, what would you rather do? Would you rather drink water and feel great by adding a little bit of flavour or not do it at all because you have these misbeliefs where it's bad or it's full of sugar or it's going to rot your teeth or whatever? Yeah, big yeah, time. Drink, drink um, anything. We mentioned, uh, we mentioned sleep. Um, how it can impact your energy levels how about sleep affecting your hunger your training quality your general all-around well-being kind of have you kind of we spoke about kind of reducing screen time and stuff like that but can you kind of go into a little bit more detail on how it can actually affect your hunger hormones and the signals that kind of goes to your brain and stuff well do you know what this you could dive into hormones but i think you can i think we would be skipping a step there going into that kind of level um lack of sleep impacts so many different things but if you think about how you feel when you've not had a good night's sleep lack of focus lack of motivation forgetfulness low mood um it can increase stress. You could wake up stressed in the morning because you've not had enough sleep and last night's stresses are still there and fresh. Your decision-making is impacted. Your activity levels impacted unintentionally at times. Um, these aren't a good recipe for, you know, your hunger levels or, you know, even going to the gym, training sessions or recovering. Um, but, yeah, I think jumping to hormones, you skip all these steps. Like, if you think about... If someone goes to the bed at midnight and is getting up at, in fact, let's do it the other way. If somebody goes to bed at 9pm and gets up at 6am, that person has a 15-hour day. 
So they have 15 hours to spread their calories across, but they've had adequate sleep. They're not, hopefully not suffering from all these different things I've just mentioned. Um, they're going to make better decisions. They're going to have more energy. You know what it's like when you wake up after a good night's sleep. You spring out of bed a bit more than you do drag yourself out of bed. That person is going to unintentionally burn more calories that day because they'll feel more energetic. They're more likely to stand up. They're more likely to walk. They're more likely to kind of fidget and stuff. Now, if you go back to that sleep survey I mentioned, and you say there's somebody uh, going to the bed at midnight, getting up at 6 a.m., they're getting six hours of sleep a night, so falling into that average window for the UK, but below the 79 recommended amount, that person getting up at 6 a.m. now has an 18-hour day. So they have 18 hours to spread their calories across, but they're facing all these other things of lack of focus, motivation, low mood, decision-making, etc. It's it is tougher to make decisions, to make good decisions when you feel like crap. And if they're tired, they're more likely to sit down as well. So they're going to burn less calories purely from the fact that they feel tired. So, you know, when they say a, see a seat, they're more likely to sit down. When they could take the car somewhere or walk somewhere, they're more likely to pick the car. I think it has so many different ways it can impact you as well as increase your hunger levels. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a good recipe. But yeah, sleep, massively, massively underrated. And people kind of don't... Yeah, I did a live chat with the guys in the group once and talking about habits after reading James Clear's Atomic Habits. And like, I managed to squeeze a whole hour out of, I think it was water. Like what would, you know, if, if you could change one habit and get yourself into the habit of drinking water, we, we went for ages on all the benefits that we'd have. So it was like, if you drink more water and in the workplace, then you will get up and walk to the water machine more often. You go to the toilet more often. And then we got to the point where it was like your skin would be clearer, so you might have to spend less money on makeup. And we were going through all these things, and we managed to get an hour out of changing this single habit and the amount of things that it impacted along the way. And sleep, you know, you could do the exact same thing with sleep. All different various things that sleep has an impact on that you might not think about. People just think, oh, I feel tired, I need to sleep more. When the reality is it could be affecting your activity level, your calorie consumption, your eating and drinking habits, all these different things. I'm delighted you mentioned Atomic Habits by Jet Boy. That's yeah. it's such a good book. Uh, <clears throat> it's phenomenal. You can get it on audiobook or or else I I, I rec I recommend getting the actual physical version, having your highlighter, d uh, dog ear a few pages that you kind of resonates yeah. with you. It's a phenomenal book. Um, yeah. You've kind of alluded to on your posts and stuff like that before. When I was doing my research, I was going through kind of some of the stuff that kind of potentially would resonate with a few people that out there. Uh, you yeah. kind of talk about continuous improvement rather than kind of delayed perfection. Um, yeah. And that kind of leads into there's no perfect time to start, whether it be a weight loss journey or whether it be just getting into the gym. Uh, can you yeah. expand on this a little bit? Yeah, so earlier on you mentioned the all or nothing mindset and I think this stems massively from that. Like people, there are a certain group of people or a certain type of person that likes to be able to do everything at once. They like to be able to give everything, something their absolute full attention and do it perfectly. But because of that, 
that can have a negative. I mean, it's, it's fine to be like that, but that can have a massively negative impact where it stops you from getting started at all. So, like, in the group, um, I'll pick up on people when they check in and they'll say something like, oh, I've not had a good couple of weeks or it's not been a great month, but, you know, I've had this on and I've had that on in the weekends, but my, my social calendar's clear for the next three to four weeks. You know, hopefully I can get on with it now. And I'll pick them up on it and say, look, social occasions, holidays, Christmas, Easter, summer, you know, whatever it is that's stopping you from getting started or giving something the level of attention that you would like to give to it, these are going to be with you for the rest of your life. Like, you are going to be going to birthday parties, barbecues, holidays from now until the end of time. Um, It's important to learn how to deal with them rather than use them as an excuse or treat them as some kind of thing that has to be treated differently. So it's like it comes back to that kind of on-plan, off-plan mentality where to be on-plan you have to be focused to enjoy a barbecue or to enjoy a birthday party or whatever. You treat that as on-off-plan. This yo-yo, all-or-nothing kind of thing, it can really hold you back. So at the moment there might be people thinking that's summer out of the way and now I can get focused because Christmas will be coming soon and that's going to be another thing that will stop me um, and I do kind of use it in the group at times as well so we'll get by a certain point and I'll be like right Christmas is going to be a busier time let's use this next couple of months to make loads of progress so that when Christmas does come we can understand and accept that it's going to slow down or we can even just kind of maintain for a while um, I'm always talking about fat loss kind of side of things because that's what I deal with predominantly. Um, but yeah, we can use this period to make as much progress as possible, but it's making sure that they understand that they can still progress while enjoying these things. Like, if you started right now, even though you have a busy period coming up, you could still make some form of progress during the busy period. It might not be ideal. It might not be as much as you wanted. But you're still taking a dent out of it rather than putting it off, oh, I'll wait till I come back. Um, something I get asked all the time, actually, especially during the summer, loads of messages from people, and it, the question is, um, it's, it's interesting, like, I'll always get messages from people right before they go on holiday, or when they're lying on a sun lounge on the very last day of their holiday, and they're already thinking about shifting the weight that they think they've put on when away, but the people before they go on holiday, it's like, I'm heading off on holiday two or three weeks, They've probably not reached where they wanted to be, so they're already thinking ahead. But it'll be, um, I'm just wondering, should I join your group just now or should I wait till after my holiday? I always reply to this in the exact same way for this reason. I will say it's far better to join now. Learn what you're going to learn. Read what you're going to read. Take away some knowledge so that when you go on holiday, it's not about not putting any weight on at all. But let's say you go on holiday and you normally gain half a stone. We know it's not all fat, but let's say they come back and they're always seven pounds heavier. You can join the group now, do a bit of reading, learn something, and when you go away, you'll use that little bit of knowledge to make some form of adjustment or change, or you might do something differently. And when you come back from this holiday, it might only be three or four pounds. So it's not about stopping something completely, it's about using little pieces of knowledge and little habits here and there to reduce things or limit things. 
but yeah, it's, it's, I think it all comes from the kind of all or nothing mindset. People want to either be able to give something 100% or just not do it at all. And then that can again link back to this idea of what people's perception of a diet is. So if somebody's putting something off, it's because in their experience, their experience with dieting is, oh, you know, to lose weight, I'm going to have to go hungry. I'm going to have to cut this out. I can't have alcohol. I can't have this. I can't have that. Maybe I should just wait until a period where I'm able to do that. Um, so again, that's you could keep drilling back and back, but again, it, you, it comes back to people's perception of what diet means to them based on what their experiences so far is. Sorry, I've talked for ages then on that. No, no, I, no, I, I love that. Like I'm, I'm taking notes as I'm, as as you're chatting away. Um, yeah. I love the fact that you kind of keep going back to uh, finding your reason why. Why do you want to lose weight and stuff like that? And one of the things that kind of I put up a post today regarding uh, someone said to me in the gym, I'm like doing a mini cut at the minute, which is like a short space of time. I'm not doing anything drastic just to lose a little bit of body fat, get ready for the graduation and then go again and try to put on a little bit more muscle over kind of Christmas. and someone asked me, oh, how's the mini cut going? Um, and I was kind of, I was afraid to kind of give the number that I dropped because people will compare their journeys to someone else's. Uh, yeah. That person could get a little bit annoyed and be like, why is that person being able to drop so much so quickly? And we keep comparing ourselves to others as well. Um, and the point I'm trying to make is that the everyone has a different journey it's not going to be a perfect journey but that's why i love your whole thing of seeking continuous improvement ticking off something as you go along i'm down to a size 14 i'm down to a size 8 i fit into my jeans i'm able to run around with my son or my daughter out in the back garden and i have all this newfound energy rather than going oh the scales is is a movement why is that bloody bloody bad and focus on the negative which leads into one of your posts about the negative feedback loop and yeah. how to kind of get that out of your head and how to deal with that. Can you kind of elaborate, yeah. elaborate on that a little bit more? Yes, I really like this post actually. Um, I don't know if you've watched Peaky Blenders. I have, yeah. Listening, but I've watched it. Um, at the end of season four, I can remember lying in bed with my wife and he was getting himself, he was, he was trying to take a break from everything and then he ended up, Thomas Shelby ended up getting himself in a drunken mess and his housekeeper comes in worried about him and he says I know what this is it's just myself talking to myself about myself and that resonated massively with me at the time Um, but that was whenever the end of season 4 was so that was a while ago and I can remember taking a photo of it on the telly and putting it on my my stories but more recently you know and more close to my heart was you know getting through the end of trying to get the MNU course finished trying to catch up in lectures towards the end, then the revision period, then the exam period. There were more than three occasions where I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is getting too tough. You know, you're reading all this stuff. It's not going in. You're probably not doing yourself any favours by trying to do four, five, six hour stints of revision. And then you start to be unkind to yourself in your head. You know, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. What if I pass? What if I fail? And then you go on to, what are people going to think if this happens? What will people think if this happens? And you can very easily fall into this negative feedback loop, as you've just called it. 
Um, when we get into this loop, we kind of want to keep it going. So we don't, we might try and bring a kind of positive comment in, but that will get overwhelmed by all the negative stuff. Like your, your head's in a bit of a storm and it is balanced in the wrong direction. The reason that, the way that I kind of get over it is I think that getting things down on paper is massively important. Um, I did a story about this recently, actually, where you know, when you write something down, when you try and grab one of these thoughts in your head and analyze it, it's been interrupted by all these other things. It's very difficult to hold it in position long enough to deal with it, fix it, and move on to the next thing. You write it down on a piece of paper, then it can't change, it can't disappear, nothing else can interrupt it. You've written it down and it's in front of you. Um, and then from there, you can start, you know, I spoke to a counsellor once and she called it uh, taking your thoughts to court, where you write down the thought and then you write down the evidence to support it and then you write down the evidence against it. Nine times out of ten, you'll find that there'll be very little to support the negative thought and there'll be tons of things to the contrary that will disagree with it. And you just pick your way through it like that. Um, like I know there'll be people listening that are like, oh, I don't want to write things down. It's a bit airy-fairy and whatever, journaling and these kind of things. Like, I used to think like that. I used to see, you mentioned Jane earlier on, Jane used to write about it. And I would see these posts and be like, nah, writing stuff down isn't for me. Now, every day, I've, the amount of stuff I write down is ridiculous. Every morning and night, part of my routine is writing stuff down. Um, both in my journal. So I started off with a small productivity planner because one of my biggest stresses was like not being able to order my thoughts on how to tackle my day, worrying I wasn't getting enough done, worrying I was procrastinating too much. Then if you've got all these negative thoughts going on beside it, then it's an absolute mess inside your head. Um, getting it down on paper is invaluable, I think. I love like the journaling thing. I know Jane, who has been on the podcast before, um, yeah. she's a big advocate of journaling. I think she does it at the beginning of the day. I do it yeah. at the the end of the day. I have like literally a journal beside my bed. Before I turn off the light is write at loads of different thoughts. And then I write a positive affirmation to sign off with. And yeah. then that's in my head. And then I wake up and I feel great. I know the days that I don't do it, I feel like crap. The next day yeah it's it's yeah. and like i went for maybe a month or so and i was like why am i feeling like crap and as soon as i started to bring it back in and it could be as simple as like oh i managed to kind of get a pb on legs or something like that today it could be as simple yeah. as that or uh got a compliment from someone else or uh, on how i'm looking or something like that it could be as simple as that um so i love that whole negative feedback loop um analogy uh, and it's interesting to hear they got it from peaky blinders yeah. <laughs> um, the thing with journaling as well is like the, the journal that I have oh, you, you know you practice daily gratitude in it and it's like pick three things and when you first start doing it you start looking for really complicated stuff but as time goes on you realise that you can be grateful for absolutely anything in a day so this morning I was grateful for my full night's sleep that I had having a car to take my boys to nursery in because I was pissing around this morning and the last thing was with her wife that is super prepared the night before so that when I wake up in the morning, 
the kids' bags are all packed and it's easy just to take them in nursery. Like, it's not trying to solve, you know, world hunger or, you know, bring an end to war or things like that. It's simple, low-hanging fruit type scenarios that you can be grateful for. And it's just about bringing some positivity, whether it's at the start of your day or the end of your day, where you might not have done it before, especially if you're someone that gets stuck in these kind of negative feedback loops and you suffer from anxiety or stress or depression. The last thing on your mind is bringing positivity in your day. And when you are, when you get into the habit, the habit of opening a journal, it forces you to do it. So the one that I have, it's called Mind Journal, but it's actually it's a kind of mental health journal targeted at men. Um, and it has all these tick boxes for your emotions. So it gets you to analyze your emotions that day, describe why you're feeling like that or why you think you're feeling like that. How could you help yourself not feel like that? And then kind of practice your daily gratitude, the things that you're grateful for <clears throat> that day. That's awesome. But yeah, it's massively beneficial. I would encourage anybody. And you go on Amazon, there's tons of them you can choose from just order one and start using it and they're not expensive they're not expensive no, at all. No. Um, so we spoke off air about a particular diet that's out there at the minute um, I would say 99% of my clients have come from this diet so I would like to thank them for keeping me in business uh, but that's the only thing I'm thankful for um, don't, we're talking about slimming world um, it's a very common question that comes up on Q&As. It's a very common question I get asked on the floor about what's my thoughts on Slimming World. Um, so I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on the on Slimming World as a whole. Okay, so yeah, like you, um, I would say the majority of my members have came from Slimming World. I suppose I'm thankful for them keeping me in business, but I'm also thankful for them to given me experience of dealing with people like i would say that much of what i've learned in relation to stress eating binge eating people's perceptions of diets the kind of culture and behaviors that these slimming groups promote i think that the experience of dealing with that group of people has helped me become you know a better kind of practitioner um with slimming world where do you start? It's, I've, I said to you off air that I'd done a podcast on this specifically um, with David O'Connor from Dog Fitness. Um, and we spoke about the ins and outs of it. Um, with any plan, the Slimming World, Weight Watchers, whatever, you can imagine a group of people sitting around, you know, in a boardroom somewhere, sitting around a table, having a brainstorming session. And it's, you know, we need people to lose weight. So we need to come up with something that helps them lose weight. So achieve a calorie deficit, helps them not feel hungry, um, and helps them consuming adequate protein, fiber, and making sure they're kind of making nutrients are met. But the catch is we have to make sure that we make money from it. And, you know, let's see if we can make them keep coming back year after year. This is something, this is the part that I have the biggest issue with, and it's something that I used my mum's transformation post yesterday to get across as well. Um, when you think about the way that these plans are set up, it is genius that you can get someone, you can fix something just enough so that they're successful whilst they're with you, 
but then go off on their own and undo everything that you did with them. And then you put a lease through the door to remind them that you're still here, and then they'll come back again the next year. And it's people that will spend the same money to lose the same weight year after year. That, to me, is nuts. But when you're in one of these groups, and as I said earlier on, you know, yo-yo dieting is just seen as the norm. These groups normalize it. They are going to a weekly meeting where they're surrounded by people that are all doing the exact same thing. So it's like, this is completely normal. That person's doing it. That must mean it's all right. She's done it. She lost three stone and then put five stone on. Perfectly normal. And it is normal to do that, but it, it doesn't mean... It doesn't make it the norm. It doesn't make it the only way. Um, but yeah, some world, like the rest of them, it's ultimately a business. The consultants take on their role along with the franchise and their earnings are commission-based. So as well as the majority of the members in my group being ex world members, I've also had a number of ex world consultants and I still are consultants. Um, so when your salary is dependent on commission, it's not really about helping people. Like I used to work in sales. I used to earn commission. I used to work for Thomas Creek, in fact, once upon a time. Oh, wow. Um, there would be, you know, I wasn't very good at it, and I doubt I ultimately got sacked for not hitting my targets, but that's because I wasn't willing to send people to a shithole just to make some commission whereas there are people that were more than happy to do that to make money um when it comes to slimming world when your earnings are based on commission when your salary depends on commission depends on getting bonds on seats selling recipe books and magazines and meeting your targets then it kind of moves a little bit away from helping people and more towards you know how much money can I make you know I've got bills to pay I've got a holiday I want to go on and that's my problem with it because I would say that um, 80 85% of the people that are there with from Slimming World have had some form of eating disorder or at least disordered eating and a good portion of those joined Slimming World without an eating disorder and came away with one because if you take someone that is like a nutritional blank canvas, like they know absolutely nothing. My favorite type of clients are people that haven't done Slimming World before or, or dieted at all because they're, they're a blank canvas. You can give them all the information that's based on facts, research and science. They can put it into practice and they'll do brilliantly. The toughest ones are the ones that have been exposed to the picking a popular diet culture because it's not just a case of giving them information. You've got to You've got to reprogram. You have to break them down and rebuild them from the ground up. Um, realistic expectations, real knowledge that can be used in the real world, not made up terms like, you know, sins, healthy extras, trying to educate them that you cannot eat buckets of pasta and still lose weight. Um, yeah, and they can be the most, the, the most difficult clients to deal with, but the, the ones that have joined Slimming World without any kind of disordered eating, then being exposed to this information and saying, here's a list of free foods, you can go and eat these. I spoke to someone the other day who said she was buying the Slimming World ready meals, but she was also cooking pasta. And then she was adding pasta to the ready meals because pasta's free. So she was taking something that was like four or 500 calories already 
and throwing another couple of hundred calories of pasta on top and then wondering why she's not losing any weight, getting upset when they step on the scales once a week at their meetings and not seeing any movement, not understanding that it doesn't matter if you follow something 100%, if the plan is flawed, then you're not going to make progress and that's not their fault. And some of the stories I've heard are terrible, and I won't bore you with them, but consultants putting the blame onto people saying, oh, you must have done, you must have done something wrong. You know, you, the scales would be moving if you were following the plan to the letter. And in many cases, the people are, and they're not making progress simply because they're not creating a deficit. They're following what they believe to be the rules of the plan. They're just simply eating too much. Yeah, like it's... So, yeah. Like... I'm also of the opinion that there are there is one element of Slim World which is a positive, which it creates a community. That's the yeah. one positive I take out of it. All the other things that doesn't have the basic premise of a caloric deficit, it doesn't promote exercise. It yeah. has a weigh-in concept that makes it a competition, which should never yeah. be a competition dealing with someone's health and feelings and emotions. I would also, yeah. I would agree with you on that. Most people when you kind of dig into their past when you're doing the consultations and stuff like that they've net they didn't have a de- eating disorder or a mild eating disorder before they tried slim world but yeah. coming out of it they're like they they're more prone to it they feel like they do their weigh-ins on an empty stomach and then they will go back to eating all the carbs in the world negative yeah. connotations with sins so yeah, yeah. Um, there are there's yeah, as well you mentioned the exercise exercise being not so much that exercise is discouraged but you know they, they have they call it body magic you know just trying to encourage you to move more but they try and encourage more a more kind of neat approach because they know that like, I've had people tell me that they've stood on the scales and been told that they're exercising too much to lose weight yeah you the, True in the sense that, yeah, you have exercised and you have caused a temporary weight gain with, you know, muscle inflammation or whatever, you're retaining a little bit more water, but it's not that you're not losing fat beneath that. I did a really important live chat, actually, because this popped up quite a lot in the group. There was a kind of trend of it. Somebody made a post and then everybody jumped on. So we did a live chat where we spoke about, you know, if you create a calorie deficit, what you see on the scales is the surface. That's... I did another thing as well called the fat loss iceberg or the scales iceberg where at the bottom was what you were trying to see which was your weight going down and then at the top was you looking at the scales and everything in between was the calories you consume, the macronutrient composition of your diet, sodium content, meal timing, how much sleep have you had, how much exercise have you done, you're trying to see all through all of these things to see your fat loss in the bottom. And you and I know that the scales are a terrible tool for measuring weight loss, especially if you're exercising. That's why in the group I encourage the guys to do it on a daily basis and watch out for new low weights, which will appear every now and again. Or they can add, this, add the seven days up, divide by seven and take an average, and you can at least see your average coming down every week. Whereas stepping on the scales at seven o'clock at night in your local church hall with your clothes on having stabbed yourself all day um, that's the other thing as well these 
I asked them, I put a thing, a question box up on my story and asked people what their way day rituals were. And some of them were terrifying. Like people were taking laxatives before they went to try and get a good result on the scales that day. Because it comes back to that thing that you've mentioned about it being competitive. Um, and it can be very cliquey as well, where people will kind of bitch about each other behind the back, you know. Something I ran into was um, somebody was seeing what people were eating and they're like, how come she's eating this on Instagram? I saw on Instagram that she had this on Saturday night. How's she doing this? Um, the thing with the way day rituals is once you've done something once, you have to do it every single time. So if somebody took laxatives last week, unless they take them again the following week, they're going to be higher in weight and they'll know that. And then you've just developed somebody who's fallen into a laxative habit week after week before the wedding um, because of that competitive kind of side of it and the pressure that people feel. That's it. Yeah, we could, um, we could go on all day about the kind yeah. of negatives. I mean, yeah, but the positive, yeah, the kind of, the social side of it is huge. Um, it could well be that. And this is why I've had people join my group and go back to Slumber World. But it's because they feel like they need more accountability. So they can't be left on their own. They, they feel like they need someone to be standing across from them weighing every week because they see that as um, an adherence tool for them. And that's absolutely fine. Like some people need that. Um, but also you have to consider there may be people that have been overweight all their lives. They may have had a tough time through school. They may have a small social circle. I've spoken to people that have went to Slimming World for years and not lost any weight at all and they don't care because it gets them at the house for a couple of hours every week and they just use it for the social side. Um, but yeah, the social aspect's a big thing and that's why you know my, the group, you know, my coaching group works so well because there are so many people all of similar minds and you know we're big on instagram and they all interact with each other through the hashtags and stuff um and yeah that's i would say the social aspect would be a kind of positive of it but the rest not so much i can see why yourself and david got such a whole episode of a podcast out on slim world um so what's coming up next for for jason any giveaways clam and row any events coming up Giveaways, nothing planned. I've done tons of them through the summer. Um, I think the giveaways are kind of important to try and keep people motivated or get new people in. Um, people aren't always willing to try something new. Like the people in the group, once they join the group, they can go sit at their work and bombard people with um, all the information that they've learned and they're trying to educate people about their work. And they can be outnumbered at times because they'll be following Monroe Fitness and then their three colleagues colleagues will be following Slumming World and you'll have the people on Slumming World saying, do you know how many sins is in that breakfast that you're having? Do you know how many sins are in that lunch? Even though the guys in my group are the ones making progress whilst eating all this food. And it's funny because that kind of gets to that point like my mum got to where she eventually messaged me and said, could you maybe tell me a bit more about that? It does get to that point where people see others at work and you're like why is she how are they eating so much but they're getting smaller i don't understand it and then they start to ask questions um but yeah the, the giveaways are they're kind of to encourage the word of mouth type thing and if 
somebody can win a Fitbit or whatever, then it gets them in the group. It's all about getting them through the doors because once they get through the doors, they realise that they've been missing out and that they could have been they could have been doing so much better than following Stunning World or whatever. Um, um, where would uh, where would people find out about you, Jason, and Clam Monroe and uh, your services and stuff like that? Um, MonroeFitness.com, as you mentioned at the start, our website, but also my Instagram, where you know I'm on all the time at Monroe underscore Fitness. If people want to get a better idea of what it's like to be a part of the group, um, eight weeks ago, I started a separate Instagram account, and that was Clan underscore Monroe. That's our member takeover account. So I had originally thought about doing this with Snapchat when I first started the group, but I don't know, does anybody still use Snapchat? Um, because we're bigger on Instagram, I've created this Instagram account. So every Sunday night, um, I message a volunteer from the group and they take over that Instagram account and they let everybody see what it's like to be a Monroe Fitness member or what their take on it is. And it's been good so far. We've had like a, you know, it's only been going for eight weeks, but we've had, you know, a couple, we had a couple takeover, a single takeover, a few single takeovers, uh, married people with kids, and they're all giving people some insight um, on how they tackle their weeks and the things they're doing. And it's all, it's nearly at 2,000 followers. So it's the guys in the group are benefiting from it massively because they get to see how fellow members are doing. But to people that might be listening to the podcast, and want to find out a bit more it gives them an opportunity to see from the outside what it's like um, and it's not as complicated and as scary as they might they might think I really like that idea of having someone from various different backgrounds whether it's someone with a family yeah. working profession or something like that how their daily life can still be you can still stay on track yeah. with their daily life I, I love that idea uh, Jason thank you so much for coming on today uh, I wish you the best of luck in the exams and I hope to see you at the end of November at the graduation. Hopefully you're picking up your award. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll get a graduation. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for coming on, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thank you.